Morning. Well, good morning. Wow, that was, that was good, wasn't it? I wasn't sure if everyone caught that little bit on the side of the wall. They said he felt like he was in hell. It said DMV. That's like the, uh, where you go get your license in America. And it really is like hell. Like you wait for hours and hours. I've done it. So, uh, so, uh, well, thanks for having me. You're probably thinking I didn't invite you, but Luke did. So sucked in the rest of you. Bad luck. Thank you, Luke, for inviting me. Um, I've had the, you know, I've been a pastor 20 years. I've been involved in church planning and training my whole life. And I get to meet a lot with pastors and coach them. And, um, there's 220 Baptist churches roughly in Victoria. And, uh, so I spent a lot of time with pastors. You know, I spent five years in America working with guys and girls. Um, let me say, Luke's probably one of the most exceptional pastors I've ever met. I mean, he really is. I mean, the first time I took him out for coffee, I thought, man, I like this guy. He's a really good guy. Like, I think we could be friends. Like, I really like him. Like, I think he has an amazing vision. Like, he's telling me, this is like February. Like, you hadn't started yet, right? It was just an idea. And he's, he's showing me this vision. And I was like, like, I get to meet a lot of people. And I want to be really careful here because I don't want to sound like the rest of duds because they're not. They're good people. But you know what I mean? Like, some people are just very average, right? You know what I mean? Like some people you go, even God's like, man, I don't want to go to church this week. This is so boring, right? There are some churches like that. <laughs> you know, and I meet some guys and they're struggling and, you know, there's other guys that are really gifted. Let me tell you, I meet a lot of different types of pastors. Luke, you are a very gifted guy. And I just want to say to you, you guys are lucky to have such a gifted leader. And you don't get many churches that have this much excitement getting started. I mean, have balloons, But there is something exciting in the new, you know, and, and, and there's all sorts of ages here. There's all sorts of socioeconomic backgrounds. There's all sorts of multi-ethnic backgrounds. I mean, this is the body of Christ. And let me tell you, this is one of the fastest growing growth corridors in Australia. The city of Casey alone will be bigger than Canberra in the next few years. You can't even imagine what's going to happen to Cardinia. This is an exciting time to be involved in a church plant. And so I'd encourage you. Get behind Luke and the vision of the leaders. And there's great leaders here. But I just want to say it was a real honor to come and to, to see what Luke has visioned. And is, and that's you. It's you. It's not the building. The church is not the building. It's the people of God. It's this people here. This is follow. You know, and so if you're visiting, this is a great church to be part of. And so I just wanted to say that. Could you give Luke a big hand? I think he deserves a, a bit of honor. It doesn't, help, it doesn't, you know, hurt that he's ridiculously good looking too, you know? I mean, he's just kind of one of those trendy, good looking young pastors, isn't he? That went away for me a long time ago. I, ha- I was lucky in America that I had an Australian accent. It's a 20% bump in your looks to Americans. Um, well, Luke gave me this passage, you know, to talk between chapters 10 and 12. And I've been preaching for 20 years on the road, you know. Um, and so whenever you get given a, um, a, a passage to preach from, you mean, there's a lot of work, right? Because you've got to go and read the passage. That's helpful if you're going to preach it, isn't it? And so I started to think, it's quite funny. You notice with the video, it's very viral, isn't it, how the church started? You know, has everyone said the word viral? It's like, for, like the whole, it's like Facebook didn't exist 10 years ago. No Facebook 10 years ago. Now, one in seven people have Facebook. Put your hand up if you have Facebook. Right. Now, put your hand up if you're a young person, you're getting off it because all the old people are getting on it now. 
But they're still, it's still growing, right? Because there's more old people. So old people are like, this is awesome. I just baked a cake and they take photos of it, you know? And so, like, even though young people are like, oh, it's so daggy now. They've gone to Snapchat, Instagram, and other things. It's still growing. One in seven. Ten years ago, no Facebook. Now, one in seven. Come on, that's mind-boggling, isn't it? That's what the early church was like. Like, Peter preached 3,000 people. What an altar call. Imagine that. First service. Boom, there's the church. And it's interesting. This kind of viral thing happened. You know, um, I've had the honor of speaking at the State Youth Games. Has anyone ever been to the State Youth Games? It's an event held in, uh, up in Warrigal, and they get 3,000, mainly evangelical churches, together for a weekend of sport. Middle of winter, these kids get muddy, and they, they play sport, and then they have two big evangelistic rallies at night, and I've spoken at it twice now. And uh, they flew me from America to speak at uh, last, the one I did back in 2012 which was a real great honour. I was like, surely you can find someone in Australia, like, you know, but it was very kind of them. I wanted to come back and see family, so I, they flew me back. And I was speaking on the last night, and I'm, I'm a bit of a passionate preacher, so I'm telling the story. It's the last, like, 3,000 kids, young people, all sitting in, in this big farm shit on the floor. And uh, I'm, uh, it's a big high stage because they do a real great job, right? Like two-metre stage, a big band, big lights. You know, they have footy players who are Christians tell stories. And uh, I'm doing the last message, the last story of the last night. And I'm getting more and more enthusiastic. And as I step forward, I realize there's no more stage. <laughs> and I fall off the stage. And you've got to realize I'm a big man, Right? So I looked down at these teenage girls, and they look like they're about to die. <laughs> and I think my legacy is I killed like five 15-year-old girls. Because, like, I'm falling off this thing, right? There's no, like, like a cat. Have you ever thrown a cat in the air? Like, I'm like, this. <laughs> trying to catch the air, and I'm falling. And luckily, I pull my back leg like Thor... And I land in between these two girls who, I'm telling you, needed, like, diapers, nappies, you know, like, I'll just say that. I stepped, and I stepped, and then I went, yeah! Because I didn't fall. Like, I landed on my feet. And the whole crowd was like, yeah! And, like, I finished the story, and I dropped the microphone like a rapper and walked off. Right? Now, I went back to America, didn't think about the story since. Now, I've been back in Australia. Everyone's like, hey, you're the fat guy who fell off the stage. And I'm like, no, 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 I fell on my, I landed on my feet. Oh, I was at the back, I didn't see it. That was hilarious. And I'm like, what? And every Baptist church I go to, they're like, hey, it's the fat guy who fell off the stage. I'm like, I landed on my feet. I landed on my feet. No one remembers that. But, like, I'm known all over Victoria as the guy who nearly killed a whole bunch of young people. We don't plan these things to go viral. I'm sure Mark Zuckerberg, in his little nerdy Boston, you know, little university room, never thought Facebook would be as big as it is. But God knew the early church would grow. And even if you added persecution at its worst, it made Christianity, the following of Jesus, go like a virus and it's interesting when we come to the book of acts chapter 10 11 and 12 we have this really interesting picture of the church where 
it's predominantly around Jewish people who are finding Jesus. They're Jews who follow Judaism and they discover the Messiah. And so they don't change the way they live other than they discover salvation, freedom in Christ. But they still follow kosher meals. They're still going to the temple. You understand? Because, because they, they were still Jewish. And so they had all these rules, you know, in terms of washing before meals, in terms of the Sabbaths. And they followed those. They didn't, they didn't have the Bible. They had the, their Bible. It's very offensive to say to a Jewish person, the Old Testament. That is their Bible. You understand? There was no New Testament. It was being written every day. And it wouldn't be recorded for, you know, for many years after that in terms of actually written down. And so he had this story here where Peter goes out. I'm going to focus on chapter 11. If you have a Bible, I'm going to read it. So don't stress. I, I'm sorry I don't have a PowerPoint. I'm kind of old school. Um, I am the PowerPoint. Um, oh, we have, you have some. Look at that. That's amazing. Wow. I'm in that older category now on Facebook. Okay. Chapter 11, the verse, I'm going to read the first three verses to start off with. Uh, I'm not sure. Oh, let me read it from here because um, chapter 11, yeah, we'll do the first here. The apostles and the believers, because we want to make sure we've got the same translation. Uh, Judea heard that Gentiles had received, the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, which is like where the head of the church was, right? That was kind of like the capital. It's like where the church was starting to get organized was around Jerusalem. So, you know, Peter's been out. He's been hanging around these non-Jewish people, who Jewish people see as dirty, unclean. And he comes back and he, you know, he's telling these stories. And so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, do you get the hint? They're Jewish people. That little cartoon was hilarious, right? <laughs> that was really naughty in church. I love that. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? We'll just leave it there for a second. So Peter, it's, this would be like Luke saying to you as a church, hey guys, I'm not going to be here next Sunday. I'm going to down and I'm going to work with Afghani Muslims. And the first Sunday back, he's like really excited. And you're like, you ate? with Muslims see they had a real offense about the differences between the Gentiles and the Jews and they missed that the gospel was shared they got caught up in all the things that are non what they had made non-negotiable which actually God didn't care about anymore no I think we do that as Christians right now we don't care about the Gentile Jewish thing right that's not our issue, is it? But we have other things that we add to Christianity. Not this church, other churches. A bunch of other Christians do that sometimes. No one here, because this is brand new, right? But like, you know what I mean? Like, I think, that, you know, I just went to a, uh, a fantastic Christian researcher called McCrindle. And he does kind of na- all the research around the census and, and Australian data. And here's what he's saying. 60% of Aussies have no problem with Jesus. Actually, on the census, they'll tick that they actually like Jesus. And when they do the research, they'll tick Christianity because they like Jesus. You understand? But when they actually tick whether they belong to a church, less than 5% have an affiliation with a church. It's that between 5 and 10%. So you have a disconnect, you understand? Average Aussie out there actually likes Jesus. If you push in, there'll be the average, the majority of Australians will go, yeah, I like Jesus, he's a good bloke. But if you say, what do you think of the church? They're like, yeah, no thanks. 
from a business point, I talk to a lot of business people, they say that we like your product, we just don't like the outlet. You understand? Now, we're the outlet, but that's what they think of us. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's a disconnect between the 60% that like Jesus and only 5 to 7% that like the church? Why do you reckon that is? Yeah, that's what they think. They think, they think we're a bunch of hypocrites. And, and they, have some, they have some fair cases. It may not be our church or the Baptist church, but, they've, but you know what? They've seen, they're watching the news, they're seeing the issues of pedophilia on the news, especially coming out of Sydney, but that's happening all over the world. Now, it's a minority, it's small, but you know, who knows, you only need a small to affect everyone. What else do they think? Irrelevant. Lots of the research comes back and says, nice for you, but not for me, because I can't see any relevance to my life. That's what the research says over and over again. Not relevant to my life. I've got young kids, they're in Auskick. Why would I come to church? It's for older people, or it's for, for people who are needy. What else? Yeah? Well, that's right. I mean, a lot of people say, I love uh, Jesus, I have it at home. I might watch a bit of TV, I might watch a video, put in a Joyce Meyer video or a Joel Austin video, whatever it is that's on TV. I don't watch Christian TV because I, I like to sleep in, but you know those early morning shows? <laughs> I know, you know those really, really early ones? So, yes. Here's the thing for me is that somehow all this other stuff has been added in people's minds. And I think it's the job of the church to declutter the message of Jesus and bring it back to what it's about. That Jesus came to bring restoration and hope. That we've all, we're all broken. That we all fell in a hole. And that, that Jesus lifted us out. And somehow it's become we're the clean ones, we're and you're the naughty ones. But put your hand up in the room if you've never sinned. Because we want to come and touch you. Because <laughs> you're probably the fourth member of the Trinity. <laughs> but for the rest of us, whether you've been raised in the church or not, we've all fallen. You know what I mean by falling in a hole? Man falls in a hole, he yells out, help me, help me, please, somebody help me. And a doctor walks past, writes him a script, throws it down into the hole. And keeps walking. He yells out, help me, please help me. And a priest walks past, writes him a prayer, throws it down into the hole, and keeps walking. Finally, it's dark. He's desperate. His friend walks past Sam. He says, Sam, can you help me? Sam jumps into the hole. He says, you idiot. (laughs) Now we're both stuck in here. (laughs) And Sam says, no, no, you don't understand. I've fallen in this hole before and together we'll climb out. Our job as Christians is that we've all fallen in a hole and we help other people to find Jesus the way he helped us out of a hole, right? But somehow that's not what people are hearing. What they're hearing is you have to be circumcised. Or they're hearing you can't swear or you can't, you've got to not wear a hat in church or you've got to, you know, you've got to give all your money and all the money. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, let's not get stuck on the issues. The fact is our job as Aussie missionaries is to help point people to Jesus and not all the external stuff that we often get caught up arguing about. You wouldn't believe how, how many times Christians... The devil doesn't really need to persecute us in the West because we just, we just fight each other. We argue about the worship. Did it go too long, too short? We argue about the sermon and we argue about all this stuff that doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but you know what I mean? But in the end, does it really matter if the song goes five instead of... You know what I mean? I mean, I prefer they were shorter. 
some worship leaders get lost and so the rest of us are like, would you just like, please? But in the end, does it really matter? You know what I mean? I have this little argument I teach people. I say, you know, one day we'll stand in heaven with the early Christians and Christians from the third world. Because let me tell you, persecuted Christians today in the third world, there's as many martyrs today as there was in the history of the church. One day you and I, very privileged to have born in Cardinia, I was born in Dandenong, one day we will stand with our brothers and sisters and uh, they'll, say, we'll say to, they'll say, what was hard about church for you? And we'll say, oh, when the car park was full, that was annoying. I had to walk like 500 meters. That is so annoying. Sometimes it's a bit full and the person next to me stank a bit. And I wish I had more personal space. The music went a bit long. Luke preached a bit longer. He thinks he's funny. He isn't that funny sometimes. And I'm sure these early church Christians, and I'm sure these persecuted brothers and sisters from the around will look at us with great despair. And we'll say, what was hard for you? And they'll say, they killed us for our faith. They fed us to the lions. They killed my children for owning a Bible. See, our issue in the Western world is not persecution, it's selfishness. It's adding things to Christianity. It's treating this as a shopping mall, as if I can come and maybe find... Have you ever heard that phrase, church shopping? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with looking around for churches. Absolutely, I've got friends doing that. You've got to discern where has God called you to. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you are looking for a better kids program, worshiper, preacher, whatever. And this is what I think was happening here with Peter. They were saying, these Christians, these Gentiles, they need to be like us. We need to add things to the list. And what happens is Peter has a revelation. This whole story, I'll talk real quick. You know, basically he goes, God, he goes, hang on a sec, guys. Let me tell you how God spoke to me. He's on a roof and a sheet comes down and God shows him food that he's, he's not allowed to eat. He thinks it's a test. He's like, I would never eat that food. And God does it three times and God basically says in verse... Oh, gosh, my eyes. Uh, verse 9, he says, But the voice from heaven came again and said, God, God said, If God says something is acceptable, don't say it isn't. But God speaks to him about stop making this sacred and secular divide. I think the church has done that for years. We've treated Sunday more sacred than Monday. We've treated the hall or the building more sacred than the shopping mall or our homes. And it's not to make things less of God, but to say God is in all those places. And he inhabits all of them where the church goes. Because the church is the people of God, his hands and feet. You know, um, what I love about this story is that Peter has a paradigm shift to realize that if God makes things clean, all things can be made clean. There's no one who can't be reached. There's no place that we shouldn't go. You know, I just had Sally Tonkin come and speak at our church in Casey. She's the CEO of Gatehouse. Gatehouse is an amazing charity. If you ever get a chance to support it, they work with the street workers and prostitutes of our city. These women are not working with heavy machinery. They're not working with war veterans or men out of prison. They're working with men who walk our supermarket aisles. And yet they're the most beaten and abused women in our city. And you can judge them for whatever that they do, but the fact God loves them because they're still people. She had this amazing talk at our church called She's Someone. 
See, often when we talk about street workers, we say, that's somebody's sister or somebody's mum. But, you know, if this gentleman here had a seizure today, if he fell down, I wouldn't have to say to Luke, Luke, help the guy. He's somebody's brother. He's somebody's father. And then Luke would have to jump down and help him. You would help him because he's a person. You see, God sees everyone as people, no matter how sinful they are. Right? He sees every person as a lost child, no matter how bad their sins are. And what she talked about us was a new centre opening in Dandenong where they've studied among street workers, thousands of them. And what the common denominator is when these girls are 12 years old, something happens to them that causes them to walk into a life of prostitution and street work. And so they've launched a centre in Dandenong now working with 12-year-old girls, 12-year-old girls, 11 and 12-year-old girls who are on the risk of becoming full-blown street workers. And let me tell you, they get at least eight referrals a week from our city, from Cardinia and Casey. Girls who are being sold, to, made to sell drugs, who are in pedophile rings, who are being abused, and are looking for belonging. She read this quote out, and it said, one girl said, there's nothing like a pimp who will tell you, I believe in you. Even at the most evilest, at least someone believes in me now what is the church meant to do the church is meant to point to jesus and say we are his hands and feet we believe in you we'll protect you we'll love you and we've started a whole bunch of volunteering and 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 stuff you know what whether it's the worst kind of sinner that you could imagine whether it's a street worker or a muslim whoever it is we are meant to be the hands and feet of jesus to them and who who are we to ever say you are not good enough you are not clean enough god is here to reach everyone what i love about the finishing with this story is uh is he tells this story and uh we go to the very last couple verses in verse 17 verse 17 it says and since god gave the gentiles the same gift the same gift he gave us when we believed in the lord jesus christ who am i to argue and i love this when the others heard this all their objections were answered and they began praising God. Let's see how it reads here. Jesus has got a grant of repentance that leads to life. Now those who had been scattered, the person who broke out with Stephen was killed. This goes on a bit further. What it's saying here in this verse is that in the end, it's about the stories of redemption. It isn't about the theology that we argue about. It isn't about the practices of preferences. Look, I'm 41 now. I'm getting old. I don't know. I know some of you are thinking that's not very old, but I have three teenagers. They tell me all the time I'm old. Here's how I knew I became a bit older. I got back to Australia. I turned the radio on. I like Light FM. I went through all the radio stations. didn't like anything. I found this one called Breezy FM. No, uh, Smooth FM. It plays like Lionel Richie. Like it's, who, who knows that station I'm talking about? If you like that station, you're old like me. I know. I can tell you how I know I'm old because my kids say I hate that station, Dad, and every minute it's on. But I love it all the time. It plays Chicago and it plays um, James Taylor and it plays all the music from the 70s and 80s that I grew up on. And so for me, I know that all the older, all the people my age are like, "Hey, man, I love that stuff." <laughs> Look, if I had my preference at church, it'd be Lionel Richie, Phil Collins the whole time, right? <laughs> If I had my preference, you understand? But who knows it's not about my preference. 
It's about the people who are unclean, who are yet to find Jesus. That's why we have these seats in air conditioning. It's not for us. It's for them, the person who's not yet come, right? And it's when we share our stories, real stories, not just the theology or the theory, but when we tell the stories, and I'll finish with one. When we moved to Chicago, let me tell you, we lived this stuff. My wife and I have given our life to missionary work. And uh, when we moved here, we took 10 suitcases of clothes. That was it, 10 suitcases of clothes. So we had no furniture. We moved to one of the poorest Hispanic areas. It was very cheap to rent. And so people kept driving up. Beautiful Mexicans were driving up, giving us their kind of old furniture. And they're not very rich. And so I've been kind of like, I had this couch in the basement. My cat peed on it. You can have it. I was like, oh, thank you. And so we'd unload this couch, put it up against the wall, we kind of cleaned it, put five blankets on it. But we were really grateful because who knows you don't complain when you are sent by Jesus. So we didn't complain. Everyone gave us their big TV, tube TVs. My kids kept saying, what's this thing on the back of the TV? I'm like, that's how we had TVs when I was a kid. We got 32 of those, let me tell you. Big ones, you know. Um, and all day people kept dropping off furniture and we lived in a very uh, poor, small estate where there was no sidewalks or footpaths and um, Americans are really precious about their grass and so people kept driving into my neighbour's right opposite us driveway, a little bit on his grass and backing in and giving us this furniture all day. And we don't, we'd say to people, stay and have a meal. So by the end of the night, there's 50, 60 people, kids riding their bikes, running on his grass. And I kept seeing this guy peer through the blinds you know, snapping it back. Finally, at nine o'clock, he kicks the door open like Grand Torino style and yells out, get off my grass. And I, I was like, oh, okay. And he was so angry. Now, I hope you know the 30 minutes you spent with me, I'm kind of a lovable guy. I'm pretty likable. I'm very huggable. So I was really upset, right? Good to know his wife, Andrea, his daughter, Mia. They were lovely to us. Dan would have nothing of it. Every time I walked outside, I'd wave to him. He would do the opposite to the wave. He'd do this, but not this. I can't do it in church. You understand? He'd go, eh, but not that, right? Because Luke wouldn't have me back. But you understand? Replace that with what you imagine. I'd wave and he'd go, eh, but not that, right? Every time. I'd be like, hey, Dan. He'd be like, eh, but not that. Every day. Now, I'm thinking, man, I am the king of mission, or I've written a book, or I've traveled the world, so I cannot win my neighbor. This neighbor hates me. I tried to apologize, would not have a bar of it. Every day I'd see him. It was summer, I'll never forget this, it was summer. He was carrying Mia, because you can't park in the road. There was no, no, no parking, it was like a fire lane. And so he was retiring, re in his driveway. And uh, so he had to park his car down the road. And so he puts Mia inside, and I stand on my foot, on my... On my my um, front porch, and he's kind of with a sound disc is, and I yell out, hey, Dan, why don't you park your car in my driveway so you don't have to carry me all the way? And he puts me inside, and he grabs a shovel, and I think, dear Lord, he's going to kill me now, <laughs> and then he's going to bury me. And the only hope I had is, I'm a pretty big man. I'd take a while to bury. <laughs> Maybe someone will he'll give up halfway. It's pretty hot. Or someone will find me half buried. So I kind of kept talking to him. Hey, Dan, why don't you park here? And he took a step forward. So I took a step forward. He said, how come you don't have a car? I said, ours died. He took a step forward. So I took a step forward. He said, don't you have a sick kid? At the time, my son had been diagnosed with cancer. And so I said, yeah, we do. 
We have a thing called friends. You should try it sometime. They lend us their car. And he took a step forward. And I took a step forward. And he's looking at me in the face. We're right standing face to face. And I thought, dear Lord, don't send a car or a truck now to kill us. And he said, he burst into tears. And he said, I'm so sorry for how I've treated you. My dad just died of cancer. And I have persecuted you. And you have done nothing but love us. I put my big arm around this big builder. I said, that's okay. You freak, you know. Like, <laughs> and I hugged him. He said, you are like salt and light. He grew up in the church. He'd walked away. He said, your house is like a lighthouse. And he said, I want what you have. You know, it came winter and he shoveled my driveway. I came down. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, isn't this what Jesus would do? And I'm thinking, I don't know, but I'm not doing it. <laughs> I don't even own a shovel. He said, let's shovel everyone's driveway. I'm thinking, I don't want to. But he got something caught him. You know, last year, I was diagnosed with cancer. He shoveled my driveway every day so my wife had gone to the hospital and back. When we left, he wept. But people are waiting for us to step towards them. Can I pray for you? That you will be a church that steps towards not carrying the things of church, but the person of Jesus. Father, I thank you for Follow and Luke and the whole leadership. Lord, we keep adding and you keep taking them away. You keep reminding us that we are all worthy of this gift of grace and redemption, that the gospel transforms everyone, no matter how far or close whether they're raised in church or whether they seemingly seem so far. You keep reminding us that your gift covers everyone. Help us to carry the good news of who you are to all neighbours and nations, that we would care deeply about the issues that happen in Cardinia and Casey, domestic violence, youth suicide, drugs. Lord, that we would be agents of change and hope, that we would be your hands and feet, and that we would, it would be embedded in real stories that undeniably show that you are on the move. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for having me in church.